From Audio Boom comes Covert, a new podcast that delves into the murky world of spies, soldiers, and top secret military operations. I'm Jamie Rennell, and together we'll discover the real stories of history's greatest classified missions, told by the operatives, soldiers, and journalists who experienced it firsthand. Follow Covert on Spotify or subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite shows. Five, four, three, two, one. Cue music. This is Movies First with Alex First and Chris Coleman. When making a movie, one of the things that you have to do sometimes is to take a location and make it look like somewhere else. Now, more often than not, what we see in Hollywood movies are films shot in, say, Canada that are then made to look like somewhere else in America, or we see a lot of things shot in and around Hollywood made to look like places all over the world. We're about to launch into an Australian film. Well, an Australian shot film, largely shot in northwest Tasmania, which they have made look like... Western Australia. If you're not familiar with the geography, get yourself a map. That'll be kind of interesting to see how far apart these places are. Alex first, greetings to you. Tell us about the lights between oceans, which I should mention, by the way, was also shot partially in New Zealand. There we go. Look, yes, I shall gladly do so. It's rated M in Australia, 133 minutes, directed by Derek C. in France. Now, Derek C. in France has done some very fine work. The Place Beyond the Pines. Did you see that? Uh, I don't think I did. Blue Valentine was another example of his Mm -hmm. work. It stars Michael Fassbender and Leisha Vikander, and I believe this was the movie where they got together in real life. They got to know each other. There's a bit of trivia for you. But regardless of any of this, we're talking about their characters here. It's a beautiful-looking, heartbreaking story about love and sacrifice. It's based upon a best-selling Australian book by M.L. Stedman, which happened to have been her first novel. So in the years following the First World War, lighthouse keeper Tom Sherborne and his wife Isabel begin their life together on a secluded island off the coast of Western Australia. I, by the way, have a picture in my study of a magnificent lighthouse with ocean pounding the rocks around it. It's the most evocative thing. Imagine living on a lighthouse, either by yourself or with a loved one, for year after year after year. I Many wouldn't people... mind, you know. I, I think it's a travesty. Really? I think it's a travesty that the, the, the occupation of Lighthouse Keeper is disappearing and being replaced by machines. I wouldn't mind. I reckon, it'd be, I reckon I'd be OK at that. Do you honest, Because you're a people person. I mean, how... OK, I suppose in modern terms, with the internet and so forth, you could communicate with people more readily. But, I mean, if you're going back in time where phone calls were very expensive and perhaps not encouraged and you were there by yourself or perhaps with with your wife, that would be a reasonably lonely existence. I reckon some people would handle it better than others. Some would go stir-crazy, wouldn't they? Uh, Somewhat. I'm quite comfortable with my own company. Very good. Okay. Well, you get only the very finest, clearly, if you're by yourself. (laughs) Well, see, when I talk to myself, I'm always guaranteed of an answer I'll understand. Exactly. Good. (laughs) You are a Mensa graduate, aren't you? Anyway, as the only inhabitants of Janus Rock, this particular couple lives a quiet life, blissfully in love, sheltered from the rest of the world. Then one day, as could happen, a 
rowboat washes ashore. This is a rowboat carrying a dead man and a crying baby girl. Mm. Well, hmm. Okay, so reeling from heartache, this couple, Tom and Isabel, decide to raise the infant as their own, setting off a chain of events, some impetuous, others wrenching, that unravel with shattering consequences. M.L. Stedman's novel became somewhat of a literary sensation upon its publication only four years ago. It spent more than a year on the New York Times bestsellers list. It's been translated into almost 40 languages and set on the remote edge of Western Australia in the years following the devastation of the Great War. The book lured readers into an old-fashioned tale of tenderness and impossible choices. Beneath it lay churning contemporary questions of right and wrong, the effects of war and peace, and the dangers of blind scruples. Tom Sherborne, shell-shocked veteran, devotes himself to his new job as lighthouse keeper on the otherwise uninhabited Janus Rock. Surrounded by nothing but the vast sea, he seeks solace in his solitude, and he intends to remain alone. Unexpectedly, though, he meets Isabel Gracemark, a vivacious young woman from the town of Partagese across the harbour, herself grieving two brothers lost in the war. While their love flourishes, fate will intervene. Spectacular vistas, super cinematography, cavalcade of top international and Australian actors cannot paper over what is a ponderous script. It is 133 minutes. Hmm. And that's usually a problem. It is. Well, the story is a good one, but did it have to be so laboured? I believe not. I understand you have to establish the characters and the settings. But languid is the word that immediately comes to mind when describing the pacing. The moment it stopped, I turned to a fellow reviewer and I said, if only they could have made it another hour longer. <laughs> and that really was my initial response, thinking, oh, really? I mean, it looks fabulous, but there's only so many beautiful Vista shots that you can take. And to be candid, I didn't really buy, and this is rather unusual considering apparently they are together in real life, I didn't really buy the relatively gregarious character that Alicia Vikander plays would fall for an insular, taciturn man such as is Michael Fassbender's role. That aside, not surprisingly, everything kicked up a gear once the pair took in the baby. And, of course, we knew that would never end well, but exactly where the story was headed was the whole point of the screenplay. Jack Thompson plays a jaunty and jocular seaman while Brian Brown is underutilised as a grandfather. As for Gary MacDonald, who's cast as Isabel's father, he changes his tune far too quickly for my liking, from surly to embracing. Rachel Wheats is also in this one, talk about international stars. The light between oceans lurches towards melodrama as the story develops. And as for the ending, it can be seen out, take your pick, A, as too convenient, B, as too far-fetched, and see something drawn from a Nicholas Sparks novel. Perhaps it's all of the above. <laughs> but the movie looks good. I mean, let's, you know, get... We've said that a few times, but it's too much about atmospherics for its own good. It's rated M, and it is called The Light Between Oceans. There have not been a lot of films shot in Tasmania, but you have this one, right. 
And you have, we've spoken about this, uh, albeit briefly, because it's it's still to be, be released here, but we, are, we, uh, we have also touched briefly on Lion. Uh, it was also mm-hmm. partially shot in Tasmania. So, you know, they're like buses. You wait forever and they come along two together. Well, I mean, to be honest, Tassie would be an obvious location. There, ha- I mean, there have definitely been quite a number of others that, that I, I can sort of think of as well. Uh, I mean, there, there was... I think there was a story of Van Diemen's Land that was shot there. Uh, look, there, there have been, uh, there definitely have been quite a number of films yeah, shot in Tasmania. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful location. Oh, it's a great and location, but it, it it is probably underrepresented compared to, well, virtually anywhere else in Australia. I think possibly just because of it being being an island, which is odd, because it is a magnificent. It has so much magnificent scenery, and that you could be, you That's can really exactly- use. Well, I mean, you said that there hasn't been all that many films shot in your your home territory, which is the ACT or Canberra. Mm. So, I would have I would have thought that would be less prominent as a location. I, I mean, just it's it's also Canberra hasn't been around for as long as Tassie, and a lot of people, you know, when they draw maps, they still don't put Tasmania on there as an island. They join it up or they forget it altogether. So, good on Tasmania for putting its hand up has been the ideal locale for a beautiful-looking movie. Give us a score for The Light Between Oceans. Uh, Six out of ten. You've been listening to Movies First with Alex First and Chris Coleman. Subscribe to the full podcast at Audioboo, Stitcher and iTunes or your favourite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com. Welcome to Mafia, a new podcast telling stories of America's criminal underworld. Gotti assumed the position of head of the Gambino family. And using the name Donnie Brasco, I was able to infiltrate the uh, Bonanno uh, crime family in New York City. Bugsy Siegel is an American mob legend. One man changed the whole texture and landscape of crime in America. Listen to Mafia every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite shows.